Good morning. Welcome, friends. It's good to see you. Welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Welcome to those of you with us in the pews and those of you online today, uh, simultaneous or after the fact. You know, every Sunday the word is up there, and, and I say it every week, welcome, right? But um, given all the things that we have been through, you know, we realize together as a church that um, for some of us it's been a long time since we've gathered with other people in a church, either online or in person, right? For some of us, it's been a while because of sickness or health, or it's been a while for other reasons. We don't take that for granted. And so, friends, in all seriousness, having joined us today, welcome. We're really glad that you are here and that you can be with us. This whole church community, when, when we gather, whether it's people who we see every week or new visitors, or strangers, or folks uh, who are finding their way back to faith after a long time away. However it is, all of us are here because we are hungering for the same thing, which is an, an encounter with the living God, which is the very thing that God sets before us during resurrection season. And so in that great and bright hope, friends, would you rise in body or in spirit, and let's worship together. Friends, the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. People of God, we worship the living God today. Remember that out of nothing, God created the heavens and the earth. God raised Jesus from the powerlessness of death to the power of his right hand. Not even the gates of hell can stand against God's purposes. Behold your God who reigns now and forever. Lord, and let all that is in me adore Him. 
Lord, we are like the Apostle Thomas with our questions and our doubts. We sometimes need to see in order to believe. We need you in order to have faith. Lord, just as Thomas confessed you are his Lord and his God, we boldly claim this truth for our lives. Lord, we thank you for the blessing you have given us, the ones who believe without seeing. Lord, may the doors of our churches be open to all, and that doubters be welcomed here. Let's take this moment in a silent confessional. Friends, hear this good news. God moves even through our doubts and blesses those that hold on to the faith. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are like a new creation in Christ. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Amen. Please rise in body or spirit as we continue our worship. Yeah. 
the peace of Christ is with you. Let's greet our neighbors. It's time for the kids to come up for Kid Street. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never-stopping, to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Emily Fortna, and I have the, I'm the elder he, an elder here at Pleasant Street, and it's my privilege to lead us this morning in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today on this beautiful Sunday, so grateful that the Lord of the universe desires that we come before him with our prayers and petitions. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring comfort, to renew our spirit, and to intercede for us in accordance with the will of God. On this Mother's Day, we thank you for our mothers and the way they have shaped us to be the people we are today and how they teach us about unconditional love. Yet we recognize that we live in a broken world and we war mourn imperfect relationships that cause pain instead of building each other up. We pray for mothers who mourn children they have lost or never were able to conceive, and for children who have lost mothers or are now caring for their mothers. Be with us as a congregation. Help us to be your hands and feet to each other and to our community. We pray for those who have COVID and those who continue to suffer lingering symptoms of COVID. This morning, we think especially of Gordon and Lois. We ask for healing. We also lift up others in our congregation dealing with chronic health issues or awaiting surgery. We think especially this morning of Audrey and Deb. We pray for peace in war-torn countries like Ukraine, and we pray for justice and an end to poverty. And though the news seems bleak, we acknowledge you as our sovereign Lord who has control of all things. We profess these words from our world belongs to God. Even now, as history unfolds in ways we know only in part, we are assured that God is with us in our world, holding things in tender embrace and bending them to his purpose. The confidence that the Lord is faithful, is fa is faithful gives meaning to our days and hope to our years. The future is secure. Our world belongs to God. Help us to live as if we truly believe this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Diana Burns, and it is my privilege to read the scripture to you this morning. 
The scripture this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. As we continue our walk through the Gospel of John, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, gathered in this room or in our homes, in a small space or a large one, alone or in company, we are ordinary people, much like the Twelve. The only thing that set them apart was that you drew near to them. You called them, you taught them, and after you died, you appeared to them and told them the good news. Our lives are much the same as theirs. And so in faith and in hope, this morning we ask that you would choose to come and be near to us. Call us, teach us, feed us, show up, and breathe, that we might breathe in the spirit that you breathe out, and that we might breathe out good news for a world that is desperate for something good to breathe in. Amen. Anyone who's ever been on a sports team or worked as part of a team or a unit knows 
that you don't get to choose your own nickname. Most of the time, it's chosen for you. There's a wonderful Seinfeld episode. Seinfeld tells you many things about life. There's this great Seinfeld episode where George decides that he wants to change his name to T-Bone. And so the episode opens with Jerry and George sitting together at the diner. And George says to Jerry, you know, I've been thinking. I've gone as far as I can go with George. George, what, what is that? It's nothing. It's got no snap, no zip. I need a nickname that makes people light up. Jerry quips, you mean like Liza? George says, I was thinking T-Bone. Well, George knows that you can't simply go around and just start calling yourself the nickname that you want to be called. So he devises a plan in order to prompt other people to get them to call him the name that he wants to be called. And so the next day, he's at a conference meeting at work, and they're all uh, around the conference table, and they're placing an order for lunch. And George very dramatically orders the T-bone steak. Finding this an odd choice for a lunch... Uh, his boss asks, for lunch? And George says, well, I'm just a T-bone kind of guy. Love that T-bone. You might as well just call me. But he gets interrupted because Neil Watkins from accounting, who's sitting next to him, he interrupts him and says, you know what? I'll have that too. He orders the T-bone steak. And for whatever reason, when Neil from accounting orders the T-bone, the group around the table says, maybe we should call you T-bone. So, and because it's Seinfeld, you know there's going to be some weird, quirky twist at the end. And sure enough, at the end of the episode, there's this scene where George is confronting Neil from accounting, and he's trying to convince Neil to give up the nickname. And he's getting very animated, and his coworkers happen to see him through an office window, but they can't hear him. And he's waving his arms animatedly like this, like a monkey, and so they give him a nickname. They decide to call him Coco the Monkey. No matter how hard you might try, no one really gets to choose their own nickname, like Stubbs or Bruiser or Coco, or maybe even Didymus, which means twin. I happen to have a little firsthand experience with twins, and maybe that's given me a small window into this nickname that the disciples have given to Thomas. They call him it all the time. They call him Didymus, twin. Perhaps they called him that because he actually was a twin, an identical twin, so difficult to tell apart from his brother, they just called him that one, twin. But Didymus does seem to be a nickname of sorts, and nicknames among friends, as we all know, are usually true on more than just a physical level. Nicknames usually characterize personality or your behavior, and I wonder if Thomas was called twin for maybe another reason, too. If perhaps Thomas could be seen from time to time acting like two different people, even though he is the same person, which turns out to be sort of more or less how Thomas appears to us in the Gospel of John. I mean, Thomas doesn't show up that often, but he makes a couple of appearances, and each time Thomas shows up in the story, it actually has something to do with death, ironically. And each time he shows up in the story, he responds differently. The first time we meet Thomas 
It's in John 11. Lazarus was gravely ill in Bethany. Maybe you remember. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. Jesus delayed. Lazarus died. Then Jesus decides he's going to go to Bethany. Well, the disciples were terrified out of their mind. The last time that they were in Bethany, the town, the whole town tried to stone him to death. But Thomas, Thomas, in this moment of shining loyalty, he pipes up with this kind of confession of faith in the face of death. He turns to the rest of the twelve and he says, let us go too, that we may also die with Jesus. Peter was awfully quiet. Yeah, but Thomas, the twin, showed some amazing faith and loyalty that day. And Thomas was there when he saw Jesus confront death and speak into the tomb and Lazarus comes out. And I can only imagine what that must have done to cement his trust in Jesus, to see him raise a man from the dead. But then again, Thomas was not there when Jesus showed up in the middle of the room on Easter Sunday night among his ten disciples. Where was he? He didn't walk with Mary early that morning. He didn't run with Peter and John in their epic foot race that morning. He wasn't in church at the evening service that night when Jesus showed up and he showed everyone his hands and his side. He missed it. And he also missed the overflowing, laughter-inducing, teary-eyed joy of Jesus' resurrection from the tomb. Where was he? Maybe that's what they asked him when he showed up. When Thomas did knock on the door, I imagine him being yanked into the room and ten voices all talking at the same time. Where were you, Thomas? Maybe they let Mary go first. She tells Thomas that she'd been so grieved, but, but, but she had gone to the tomb anyway. And, but then she says, well, that, you know, I, I can't. Thomas, he was there. Jesus spoke to me. I held on to him with my own hands and a hug, and he told me to tell you all that He called you brothers. He called Adonai our father. And then maybe the others chime in, unable to wait any longer. We saw it too. They're saying to Thomas, he was here. Who? Thomas says. Well, the doors were locked. I'm sure we locked them ourselves. He showed us the wounds. Whose wounds? It really was him. Who was him? It was Jesus, Thomas. Jesus said, "What what did he say? Did you? Oh, yeah, peace. Be with you. And then, and then he just he took a deep breath. Thomas, he didn't scold us. He, he wasn't angry that we had abandoned him. Jesus just, well, he, he just breathed for a while. And it was like all of a sudden we had the most wonderful reason to cry. And he gave us instructions. He told us to start telling everyone that he breathed. No, that he's alive. He showed us the wounds in his hands, Thomas. Whose wounds? Wait, hang on a second. His wounds, Thomas. Jesus, Jesus still has the wounds in his hands. He's alive. We saw his hands and we saw his side, but he is alive. And we're telling you first. But Thomas can't believe it. He won't, actually. He refuses even to set one foot in the door of hope without some very specific conditions being met. He wants to see the wounds in Jesus' hands. No. He wants to touch them. No. 
He wants to put his hand right in the hole in Jesus' ribs made by a centurion's spear. And unless he does that, he will not believe any word of what they are telling him now. It doesn't matter that there's ten of them. Suddenly, Thomas seems like a very different man than the one that we met in John 11. There, he was committed to Jesus in the face of death. And as committed to Jesus as he was then, he is now in the reality that resurrection has come from death, determined not to commit to Jesus. You know, we have a name for him. We call him what? Doubting Thomas. That's right. But that's not really fair. It's only half the story. The other 12, they call him twin. And it's not hard to see why. He has decided to follow Jesus, but he has his doubts. They call him twin, like it's a nickname that he can never escape It's interesting because we don't actually know anything about his twin. Why, it makes me think that it could be anyone, really. Maybe it could be even you. Because we have decided to follow Jesus, and we have our doubts. Every one of us has had those moments in our lives. You know what I'm talking about, the mountaintop right? Moments of bravery and devotion to Jesus where our faith is so ardent and pure, it surprises us more than anyone else. It's the way that we were able to take that difficult situation and lift it to God in prayer and then leave it there. We were surprised at how easily that one time our trust in God came to us. We were like Thomas heading toward Bethany. We were brave. We were bold even heading into that difficult meeting or that decision. We have had those times when trusting in the goodness of God was as easy as breathing. And when the presence of God felt as close to us as the air in our lungs. And in those moments, it seems that we would have followed this man anywhere like even to the very ends of the earth if he asked us. Yeah, but that's not the only story our lives tell. There are times when the news hits us heavy and we wonder honestly like a punch to the gut, sucking for air, how in the world is God going to sort this mess out? Anna was in her 80s when I met her and her world was pretty small and she spent much of her time watching the news And when we would sit together, she would talk about how growing up she'd seen many hard things, but somehow she always thought that the world was going to get better as time went on. But the longer that she lived, the worse it seemed things were getting. And she would cluck her tongue and say in a soft and gentle accent, I just don't know, where is God in all of this? Which sounds almost identical. To questions that I'm sure we've asked too. We live with chronic pain or we carry scars from childhood wounds that never seem quite to close all the way and we accumulate the nicks and bruises from life's ordinary quarrels along the way. We want to feel spiritually alive but sometimes it seems we go through every day in this settled routine with God like a spouse whom we haven't had a date with in a long time. And it's these wounds which challenge even the most ardent faith. It's these things that can make us sometimes people of faith and doubt. The disciples called Thomas twin. 
And if they were looking to give us a nickname, this one just might fit us too. As in the other half of, of Thomas's spiritual DNA. Why I imagine that any one of us could be Thomas's identical twin. And because we share so much of the same spiritual DNA, we also want to see Jesus appearing in a locked room. We crave the same thing that Thomas craves. And so we understand when Thomas makes this bold and even impertinent request, he wants to touch, no, not to touch and not to see, but to put his hand into the wounds that Jesus had. He draws this line in the sand. He will not believe that Jesus is raised from the dead unless he himself sees and touches the wounds. Yes, it's macabre, and yes, it's impertinent, but then again, Thomas is only asking for the same thing that everyone else got in church that day. Thomas knows that he needs something more than secondhand information to believe this resurrection business. Thomas needs an encounter. Not, not too long ago, I was reading a book called The Cross and the Switchblade. It's a bit of an older book. Uh, it's by David Wilkerson, and it's a true story about David, when he was this young country preacher in Pennsylvania in the late 1950s, uh, you might know his name. He is the person who founded Teen Challenge, if that rings a bell. Anyway, so Wilkinson has this amazing story about how he receives uh, this very clear call from God one night in his study in the middle of this rural town in Pennsylvania in a small church, and, and the call is to go to New York City and to seek out and minister to gangs of street teenagers in the 1950s. It doesn't make any sense to him. He has no experience with how to do this, but it's clear that God wants him to do it, and so he goes to the congregation, he asks them for money, and they send him to New York City. He has no idea what to do or where to go along the way. And it's this amazing story of how God opens doors, and, and there's this work being done there, but it's also incredibly demanding and difficult because God only gives him literally one step at a time. And so he is forced into this place where he is constantly unsure of what to do next and waiting and dependent upon God for every little thing. It turns out that even preachers get lost and doubt along the way. And so in a particularly strong moment of this, one of the things that David does is he leaves the city and he's seeking clarity, and so he goes to a trusted person. He goes to his grandfather way out on a farm, and they have this wonderful conversation. His grandfather, too, was a pastor. And as David is unfolding for him this complex story, and he doesn't know what to do, and maybe he made it all up in the first place, and he's not sure, and all of a sudden nothing seems clear when there was a time in his life when everything seemed absolutely clear. And his grandfather, with the wisdom of a man who's had a lot of conversations like this, just makes one comment. He says, David, what is the gospel? David begins to work back to the basics, to the beginning, and they have this conversation about what, what is the essence of this gospel, of this story, of this news, and the thing that his grandfather reminds him 
is that the gospel, in summary, is encounter with the living God. And it's like David remembers how hungry he is. Which is as hungry as Thomas is. And so that is what Thomas asks for. Thomas needs to know that the same Jesus whom he saw crucified on Friday is somehow the same Jesus on Sunday. And there's only one thing that will prove that they are the same in a world where you can go from one extreme to the other. There's only one thing that's going to bring that together, and it's the wounds. Wounds that are proof that God did not somehow pull a fast one on them, switching Jesus for someone else or making a new Jesus from scratch who had nothing to do with the man who was brutalized and crucified on that cross. Why does Thomas need this? For the same reason that we do. Because in this life, we also have wounds. And somehow we know at an instinctive level that for the resurrection to be good news, for there to be a real hope beyond death, God cannot simply erase what has happened in the world or happened to us. He cannot just make it go away and create something new from a blank slate. It cannot be that God simply pretends our pain and tragedy and suffering never happened. God must somehow bring life out of it. And this is what Thomas hungers for, and this is what he is asking for, to know somehow that what happened to Jesus on Friday matters, and that God has managed to bring life back to this crucified man, and they are the same. Because if God can do that, then there is no horror or tragedy or suffering that God cannot heal, which is what we are hungry for too. My friends, there are two kinds of people in the world, those with doubts and the liars. A Christian is not someone who never doubts. A Christian is someone who knows that doubt is hunger and knows what to do with it. A Christian is someone who knows that doubt is hunger in your soul for an encounter with the living God. That is what Thomas wants. That is what he asks for. And my friends, that is what Jesus delivers. Fortunately, Thomas is back in church the very next Sunday. And there around the table, Jesus shows up again. For the second time, Jesus appears in a locked room. And it seems like a parlor trick. I don't know the metaphysics, and John doesn't dwell on that. It happened. It's interesting. I have no idea how it works. But to get stuck there is to miss the most important part of the story, which is that Jesus still has the wounds. Jesus still bears the marks on his body of what happened Friday. It is not erased. Thanks be to God. After the resurrection, the wounds are still there. They are not erased. Thanks be to God. And Thomas, who could not believe, encounters the crucified Christ, who is the risen Christ. They are one of the same. And he says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus turns to us. And he says, blessed also are you who encounter me, not with your eyes, but through the hearing of this story. And you realize what he's doing, don't you? Jesus is giving you a name. 
He is saying to each and every one of us who have decided to follow Jesus and yet who hunger more of Jesus and have our doubts, he's calling you blessed. Blessed are you who hunger, for you shall be satisfied. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, gathered in this room or in some other one, in a small place or a large place, feeling that we've walked into it openly or feeling that we are locked up inside, we come to you wanting the simplest of things, which is to hear you breathing and to feel the reality, the spiritual reality of your living presence in our lives too. So we ask that you would come and find us and that you would make yourself spiritually real to our hearts, that we too might follow you in all faith and joy and obedience. Amen. When we gather for churches, we do... God comes and he speaks to us, and then we are given something great and significant, and the only thing to do with that is to marvel at it and to find a way to respond in kind. And so we have a chance to do that uh, in a small and tangible way, an act of trust in response to God by giving money for our offering. And we have two this morning. One is for the ministries of Pleasant Street, our congregation, the work that it does, and the second offering from the deacons is for... um, our denomination's home and world missionary agency called Resonate. If you'd like to know more about them, you can find out information online. I believe it's also in our bulletin as well. And the way that we've been giving as of late is by dropping off checks and envelopes in the entryway in the, where you came in during the week or by donating online. And there's a QR code on your bulletin for your convenience if you'd like to donate that way. Having done so, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, out of the immensity of the overflow of your riches, you have lavished again upon us the good news of what you have done on our behalf. Would you teach us to respond in kind, to act like our older brother Jesus, and to live in the way that the family that we have been adopted into lives by giving generously? And would you take the things that we offer to you and use them to help people know your name and to help those who have forgotten your name to hear it again, and to help us remember that you are, in fact, coming back to renew the whole world. We pray this in your name. Amen. We respond collectively through an act of obedience. We also have chances to respond together in more um, small group kinds of ways, and one of those is for our ECHO students, third through fifth graders, to have a chance to go downstairs with some of our church leaders and discuss what they're hearing and learning and noticing in church today. So come on up, guys. You know what to do. I didn't even know. Yep. I should also mention that every Sunday after church, we've been having a sermon discussion, and that's open to all of, all of you age middle school and up. So please feel free to join us about 15 minutes after the worship service under the balcony back there. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, help us the gift of your word.
Help us to believe what we have heard, plant it deep in our hearts, and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Friends, would you rise and let's sing.
brothers and sisters, we respond to God with an act of trust, with song, and also by joining our voices to brothers and sisters around the world and throughout history who proclaim who God is. Let's say together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, the Lord who has gathered you here, who meets with you, however you've joined us, is the same God who has a blessing for you, who promises to be with you wherever this week goes. Would you open your hands, lift up your eyes, and receive it? Let's pray first. God of salvation, you have restored us to life. You have brought us back again into your love. There is no doubt or fear that can keep you out of our lives. Send us with your love to live by faith as God's people. For yours is the praise and the glory forever. Amen. And friends, receive God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
Friends, go forth to love and serve Jesus.